Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. In the show, I have Chris Doyle, CEO of Build. Build is a vendor financing company that specifically targets contractors in the construction industry to help them finance the purchase of their materials that would otherwise not be paid for for a very long time, as you will find out from this conversation. And with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris. Hey, Chris. Thanks for taking the time today. Hey, Jason. Great to be here. So Chris Doyle, CEO of Build, tell us about Build. Yeah, so Build is a um, short-term construction finance company. We work with commercial subcontractors across the U.S. and provide them short-term trade credit for them to purchase materials. In the construction industry, if you're, let's say, an electrician, you're awarded a $100,000 project. You need to get about $30,000 worth of material on day one, but you aren't paid for that until 90 to 100 days later. So what we're doing is providing kind of a cash flow enhancer for them to purchase those materials when they need them and pay them back once they're repaid on a project. Okay, we're going to dig into that uh, in a minute, but let's talk about the origin of the company. So what precipitated the creation of Build? Like, I mean, clearly there's an opportunity you just explained there, but tell me about how this came yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've been in construction for about 20 years, and um, there's definitely a lot of dysfunction in construction, not just in a supply chain finance, but in adoption of technology, workforce development. I mean, the list is pretty long. And I joined... I took kind of a, a left turn and joined a consumer finance company at a San Francisco a startup called Dividend Finance. And we were doing consumer loans for home improvement. And as we built out this network of contractors who would offer the, the loans to their customers, we would be in a situation where we'd have to advance part of those proceeds of the loan. And it became a product feature, 20%, 30%, mm-hmm. 50% or more of the proceeds up front. And it really just made me realize how broken this system is and how in construction, contractors rely so much on those upfront payments. And oftentimes it's a limiter to growth and even starting the business altogether. So we had explored some options as a standalone product to help contractors rather than making it part of the consumer product. And that really was the origin of build. And so we, we changed things a little bit. We only do commercial where the problem is a little bit worse. So me and my the co-founder, Jesse Weisberg, who was also at Dividend, launched, got a seed investment from the existing investors at, at Dividend. And um, you know we're a year and a half into it now. Excellent. So, I mean, we've seen this kind of model, and I've spoken about this kind of model um, in other verticals on this podcast. So specifically, you see the likes of the clear banks of the world and, and others who work in relation to things like Shopify and Amazon to help with vendor financing, right? And what we're really mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. here is the is the reduction of burden for working capital within a business, right? Because basically, there's a certain amount of cash you have to have in a business just to make it work right, right? If you can't get financing such as yourself, then you need to have 30% of any project you would take on sitting in cash. And that's a, that's a big investment, right? Like just to, just to leave that kind of money sitting around. So what I like about what you've done is you've gone after a vertical that is non-technologically enabled. I mean, the ability to hook up to someone's Shopify or, or Amazon account and pull that data down is, is easier to, to, to basically look at the risk profile and figure that out. This had to present itself with a number of unique challenges due to the last digitization. So can you speak to what the challenges were in trying to profile the people you were lending money to and figure out how you can make this work with that potentially losing your shirt on this. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting you say that because from an account level, traditional underwriting in small business is what's the business, who's the business owner, and there's your four or five normal metrics that you're going to look at to establish you know, credit line approvals, things like that, your decisioning. 
we pull that kind of information, but we almost don't use any of it. In our space, it really is a lot more about the project uh, that the materials are being used on. So it is highly fragmented, like you mentioned, uh, not only at the account and business level to understand what's going on with their business, but also the project that there's no like, well, there are some popular technology hubs that bring this stuff together, but there's not the single one. Mm-hmm. So we tap into all of them. We tap into all of them to get as much information as we can on the contractor and on the project. And we put together some proprietary decisioning around the, the risk profile of that project because we are, we technically you know, purchase the materials that we, and then resell. So we have mechanic lien rights on this as well. So mm-hmm. that's another consideration for us when we're doing this. And from what we've seen, you know, as we launched, we, we started with a lot of the traditional small business lending criteria. What we had seen, we threw almost all of that out. And now that we are starting from scratch, we're starting to see some predictive kind of loss rates. So a little nervous about that because it does go against everything you would expect, especially from a, you know, from a consumer finance company. If you go to a consumer finance company and say, hey, don't use FICO, you don't, don't use uh, verified income, you're not going to get very far. But no. that's what we've done here. But but it makes sense, right? Like you're taking, I you know, I, I almost burst out in laughter when you said you threw out the entire thing because so often you have to. And the reality is, is that FICO and all those other things, that is looking at a generalized framework of the world, right? When you get, the deeper you get into a niche, the more you understand the true risks of that niche. And mm-hmm. that's what you've done. Mm-hmm. You basically said, look, this model isn't sufficient. We need to kind of look at this from a first principle standpoint and say, okay, how do we actually do it for this one industry because there's mm-hmm. a lot of homogeneity to to their problems. So, and it makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting. We're finding more and more through fintechs that you know those FICO scores and whatnot are are not the best predictor. I mean, Lending Circles done and Lending Club has done like there's been studies done on their data that show that their predictive algorithms are better than any FICO score, and they're able to expand mm-hmm. the market because of it. So, yeah, it's no surprise that painting everybody with one number just doesn't work out the right way. So. Before we get into the experience, I got one question for you about something you said earlier, which was, you know, you said commercial, it's way worse. So let's ask, I mean, just ask, why is it way worse? It's really the problem that I mentioned at the introduction. So in commercial construction, there are some pretty standard processes. And one is how you submit your pay application. So we'll use the same example. Electrician gets $100,000 contract to build a Walgreens, Okay. And so when they go start, about a third or so of the contract value is materials that they need to purchase and install. So they're going to buy those materials from their local supply house. Most contractors have two or three that they work with and normally would be about the term. So they can buy buy the material and then they pay for it in 30 days. So when they buy that material on day one, they submit their pay application for the project on the 25th of every month. So depending on where they stand, on that. And they can't just bill for material. It has to be installed material generally. There's some exceptions uh-huh. there, but normally it's installed material. And so they get paid on that. So now, now that pay application, the general contractor takes 40 subcontractors, puts it all together and submits that up to a project owner who then uh-huh. reviews it and says, well, wait a second, I challenged this or I challenged that, or we didn't get this lien release or that. That process takes a while. And uh-huh. generally it could take 30 to 60 days, right? Well, that's add on the 30 days ahead of time where the contractor had to buy their material. And you can see like some serious dysfunction here, right? And what it does is contractors have always like taken the the brunt of this this problem. The consequences, they just can't take on the project, 
right? So now all of a sudden there's just more and more of these contractors that do the one and two projects at a time because it's all they can afford, right? Well, what does mm -hmm. more competition mean? More contractors, more competition. So now you've got a very tough issue with cash flow, but now you, you're like doubling who you're bidding against every time. So it really creates what I would say is a very cutthroat environment. I mean, there's benefits to lower prices, things like that, but a very cutthroat environment that's difficult for any business to thrive or even survive 10 plus years. So I know this probably sounds much bigger picture, but what we're trying to do is strengthen that contractor. We're starting with just this one issue, but we'll build more and more products that try to solve these problems that say, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. You can secure business because guess what? That, that project owner payment, it does come, right? It does come, mm -hmm. it is reliable. Yeah. And if the contractor doesn't pay their supplier, there's lots of protections in place to make sure that that risk is buttoned up. So someone just needs to put all the pieces together. And that's what we're trying to do. If you go, you know, this same contractor were to go to their local bank, they get laughed out of the, out of the building yeah. because they've got low cash balances, not a lot of credit trade lines. So their access to debt is, is very difficult. Yeah. And it's a complicated situation I can speak to firsthand having several you know, family members in the trades and having several clients who are built, who are contractors. So the reality is, is that the builders running these projects, they're utilizing the contractors as, as a credit card at 0%. That's really the thing, right? The longer that they do not have to pay their vendors, the longer that they hold onto that cash and the less cash they have to generate upfront for whatever it is. So the less cash flow they have to generate upfront, it makes sense. It's logical. But the problem is, is that it keeps on getting pushed down. And I think, I, mean, I think you might agree on this. I feel like there's almost a breaking point. Like I, you know, when you look at what you just described, you're talking about, you know, yes, a 90 day payment cycle, but then tack on another 30 days in the front of it. You know, how many businesses, you know, 120 days, of working capital is enormous. I mean, think of any mm -hmm. business and think about the fact that in theory, 120 days of working capital means that you have to have enough cash in the business to run all expenses for four months without receiving a dollar and outgoing and without going under. So mm -hmm. it's no wonder that, especially when you look at the deal risk these people have, you know, where they're taking on one or two projects, the banks are basically saying, so let me get this straight. You need four months worth of cash to pay all your expenses. And then you're going to collect from two different parties who, if they decide to shaft you, we are in trouble. Right. Like, mm -hmm. no wonder they're going to get laughed at. So mm -hmm. let's talk about how you've basically helped solve for this problem and the experience on 10. So I'm a contractor. I'm bidding on these projects. I want to I want to basically utilize your service. What does that experience look like start to finish from their standpoint? Yeah. So from an enrollment standpoint, we're very mobile first. We find about 80 percent of our customers will enroll on our platform on their phones. So we've made that process very easy. Our general approach is why ask for something if we can get it ourselves? So mm -hmm. it's unlike any normal like bank process where we're asking for financial statements or basically a survey of the business. The only thing we really need is, is tax ID, right? Who, who's your business? What's the business name? What's the tax ID? We can take it from there and verify on our own. So we've really taken that lift because contractors don't have a lot of time. And in most cases, they won't even remember their tax ID. So that's the only hurdle is what's my tax ID again. But if we were starting to ask all these other questions, what's your DUNS number? What's your mm -hmm. bank's name and address and phone number? It's like, no one has time for that. Like we can do that ourselves. So we've made the enrollment process very easy. It takes about, I don't know, three minutes, if that. And then 
once they're on our platform, it's a simple drag and drop of your invoice. The invoice is the estimate from your supplier. So when you have that $30,000 purchase, you're going to your suppliers normally and saying, hey, give me a quote for this. So oftentimes mm-hmm. you'll do it with your all three of your suppliers or maybe two or whatever you've chosen to do there. And then from that, we take a lot of that, that data. We find the project information, right? We can then get everything we need to diligence, right? And so if we're going to burden someone in that process, it's the supplier, right? They're about mm-hmm. to get paid up front now through us. We have no problem calling and asking them questions, but we try to keep our contractor, you know, doing what they do best and not messing around with us because, you know, getting financing can be a challenge. We want to make it a very simple process for them. We do, we call like deal funding, right? Like a purchase, a material purchase. I would say on average, um, 24 hours for sure. Most of our stuff comes in and gets paid out same day. So very, Hmm. very quick. And then where are you collecting? So then when you get paid back, is that coming from you or from the project management? Sorry, from, uh, from the normal, contractor. It, it's, it's from the contractor, yeah. Now, there are instances that we would, you know, in the event of a, like a delinquency or, or default, mm-hmm. we would reach out to the, the general contractor, in some cases, even the project owner, the property owner. It's fairly rare, but in those cases, it's, it's generally been uh, fairly amicable. So it's not like we're, these are like roofing materials, stuff they know is there. Right. That yeah. We're not financing a package of goods. They're like, wait a second, that's not us. Like this person used yep. it for something else. Oh, so my guy paid for like something. Yeah. My guy delivered this, but he didn't pay you for it. And it's sitting right there and I haven't paid right. him. Well, totally get that. Yeah. They would easy, not be. Right? Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. yeah. And our customers are normally, this is not an issue for them because a lot of times when we need to get involved, they have not gotten paid yet. So now they have a partner in getting paid and driving payment quickly. And we can be the bad guy, quote unquote bad guy, to the contractor to apply that pressure to say, hey, look, it's not just them, it's us too. And um, we're not going to mess around, like we need to get paid. And so does our customer. So a lot of times that's a good thing for our customer. Well, every time it's a good thing for our customer. Absolutely. So general feedback. So you versus the alternatives, you, someone discovers you, what are they telling you about your service? <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> we are. No one still, loves the bank, you know, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is great. We get a lot of, Hey, I can't believe no one's done this before. We love mm-hmm. your service. We are very, very fast. And we've got a fantastic team that, that, you know, I answer phone calls too. Like it's a simultaneous ring around the office. Like we're very customer focused. So we definitely get a lot of like, hey, you you kind of get us and we call ourselves a construction company. So we're very aligned with the customer, but we are early stage company and, and not without mistakes. <laughs> so we have those things to deal with, but you know, without those things coming up, we can't get better. And, and we really need that to scale the business. Right now we're still fairly small, less than a hundred million a year in total originations. So for us to get into that 500 million, billion dollar range, we've got to get through those mistakes early, which is what we're doing <laughs> right now. Yeah, but this is the time to make um, mistakes, I think, right? Like it's, this, this is it, right? Like you, you're, this is a learning experience. You get to annoy some people, but the reality is, is that this is how you survive scaling in the future is by being able to put out the fires now. So to be expected. Yeah, I've probably been the most surprised at, and again, I've been in construction for a long time. It's just how hard these businesses owners work. I mean, they are at it at all, like all hours. And we get these requests at 10, 11 o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning. These folks are working all the time. 
and they're working all the time. It's owner operated generally because they're having to do the whole package, right? They're having to run the infrastructure side of the business, the financing side of the business, the administrative and HR side of the business. But they also, when there's a problem, right? Who does the general contractor want to talk to? They don't want to talk to the superintendent. They want to talk to the person that's there to make an effect. They want to talk to the business owner. So they're driving around to these projects, right? All day. And that that's actually when we can connect with them the most is early morning when we know they're on the road going from project to project, which, <laughs> you know, they don't always put these like 10 minutes apart, but I'd say I'm, I'm probably most surprised at just how hard these folks are working and a little bit of like how little credit they get as entrepreneurs, right? Because if, mm-hmm. if you, if you're a technology widget creator and you're in the basement of your garage and you're staying up late and you, you get all this like cachet of like, Oh, you're going to be the next so-and-so. And this is like, you're this innovative mind. And like, but if you're a contractor, it's like, oh, well, you just whatever wanted to do on your own. Like, no, these are real, like very strong and dedicated entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. want to build a business, but they've just got so many things in their way and um, it shouldn't be that way, right? And, and for, for an industry, like you can definitely find worse industries than a $1.3 trillion construction industry to jump into and start solving some problems. Um, yeah, no kidding. I just, I'm shocked really that more people don't jump in on this and say, hey, we're here to, to help solve problems. But so, so many, and this is Wall Street, does everything go, hey, you know, this is risky. It's not something they don't adopt technology well. It's just like, okay, on to When the is the last business. time you tested that yeah. thesis? Like, that's the reality of it, right? Like, they don't adopt technology well. I mean, <laughs> you've been on enough job sites to see people basically running entire planning projects off of iPads, right? Like, <laughs> the inventory is being done by scanning codes in with your phone now. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, give credit where credit is due. It's blue collar and, you know, you have mud on the boots. But the reality is you show someone a tool that's going to do the job better, especially an entrepreneur, they're going to adopt it, right? Because yeah. they also know that they're in competition with other people who are adopting and if they don't, their efficiency is worse, right? So it is, it, I always find the people who have no experience in these fields, making decisions on investment in these fields, amusing in some of their preconceived notions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the classic like, oh, you're from Texas, you ride a horse store. Like, no, 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 no. Like, well, well you're, wait a minute, you're you not know, a cowboy? I was, I was missold this, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And and certainly there's there's a blue collar aspect in construction, mm-hmm. but the kinds of technologies that are being used really are phenomenal right now. Stuff that are like cameras around like basically a 360 view at any time of walking through your project by having all these sensors and cameras and stuff all over it. Like this is some really cool stuff that's going on. Uh, predictive analytics, machine learning to identify safety risks, deficiencies in construction, deficiencies against plan set. Like this is some some pretty cool stuff going on. I think that credit is probably to some of the more innovative general contractors that say, hey, we're going to do it better. Well-capitalized, innovative general contractors like a, you know, like a turner of the world. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like any other business, right? The No one does anything until someone comes along and says, this is silly. Like, have you seen, we're not leveraging all these technologies that like benefit us. And then they turn around and then they, you know, they either knock out competition, but they definitely set standards for what becomes a new mm-hmm. norm. And if yeah. you're not doing this, you're not yeah. doing this. And so, you know what? Yeah, the adoption curve might not be as fast as Silicon Valley, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Yeah, no, yeah. I completely agree. So- Basically, before we sign off, there's uh, three questions I ask everybody every time just to get you thinking. So the first one is, if there was one wish for something you could change in your business or in the industry as a whole, what would it be? Mm. It stumps everybody. Don't worry about it. Uh, In my (laughs) business, I'm going to 
for my business, it's probably the taste in music around the office. We've got a pretty massive division right now in the office around what kind of music to play. And it, it you know, it may like bring the company down. <laughs> so we, we've got to like solve this here, here pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> Uh, what, the, the country folk are basically uh, having the country, a hard time with the hard rock folk. The rap. The, uh -huh, the rap. Oh, there you go. And there's the rap folks. Then I can get down with some rap. I can handle country once every couple of weeks. But you bring in a lot of different folks. It, we can't ask them what kind of music they like as a qualifier to hiring. They get in and then they, they take the luxury of setting the music, which is open game in our office, can really create some, uh, some turmoil. So I, I really hope hope we make it we've got some big problems this off so you know what's funny is that it's it's a kind of a funny amusing story but at the same time it is what you're describing there is early uh, corporate culture issues right like that's that's yeah, what you're really yeah, discussing yeah. right and it's people are sitting back listening it's like the music what are you talking about but no like you know, when you have a, a a small group of people working tightly to build something from scratch those little things actually will annoy the heck out of you right and if you have a, if you're especially yeah. if you're a skilled technology guy it can be the difference between you leaving the company or not, right like that's the reality of it i'm out i quit like yeah well, you know we I, tend to there's be, a bunch of stuff but the country really drove me nuts like that's you know. <laughs> yeah i think we're kind of like seinfeld-esque where we take these very small things and we just dissect the heck out of them as a company it's like okay company meeting let's talk about our donut policy and we really take it seriously <laughs> and it's kind of joking you know but it's just fun but you get in some pretty intense arguments over things that don't matter at all um, yep and then it's back to work Yep, that's that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen amusingly, but it's uh, <laughs> the donut policy. <laughs> I love that. Uh, this is what happens when you empower your your workers. They all everybody's getting everybody gets a vote even <laughs> on donuts. So, second question I have for you: What's been the biggest challenge in getting your company to where it is today? To me, somewhat COVID related, but not being able to see the customers um, mm. because we're national and we're all based in Austin. It's a finance company. Construction is a relationship business. And I don't mean the relationship like go take you to lunch or go play you to golf. I trust you. You trust me. I'll be there when you need me to be there. And I know you and you will as well. And we take that very seriously. And that's my DNA from being in construction and not being able to see our customers and our, you know, our team, right? Being able to see the customers and also the product of their work, right? And how proud they are when they finish a project and they do a good job and they're on to the next one and how they, they kept the, the general contractor happy and delivery of the project. That's tough because I've been there and I've seen it and our team hasn't as much. So mm -hmm. my concern is it creates more and more of a divide of, well, these guys are this or these guys are that and not seeing that really positive side of their business and what they're creating. You know, what's interesting is, um, it's funny because I feel like in my industry, there's we've already had that detachment. So I say one of the biggest issues with with finance and personal finance in general is the fact that a lot of the people working in the industry just become completely detached from the fact that these aren't just numbers on a screen. These are people's lives, right? And just like in your business, these aren't just, this isn't digital paperwork to push. This isn't things to approve. This is like, you know, these are hospitals getting built. These are people's, you know, yeah. people's businesses being able to pay their their employees. And I think when you have the interpersonal relationship, it's a lot easier to keep that in mind. But when you start making things, you know, when that division happens, you lose sight of kind of the, the human impact of it. And that can be very deteriorous to the entire culture of the business because when we want to treat each other and when we can't relate on a human level, 
you know, right down to a handshake deal and giving our word, bad things happen, right? Like just bad things happen in terms of how we view each other. And it's just not good. So it is a challenge. And it's going to be one that you're probably going to, that everyone who, who basically scales is going to face. So good luck to you in solving it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I'm doing for you. The last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up in the morning to fight the good fight? I think the probably the textbook answer is, is kind of a little bit more about the customer and solving the pain point. But for me, it really is the team here. We brought in some very talented people and first time CEO, by the way. And, um, you know, I certainly lose sleep at night because I know how important the team is to driving the kind of growth that we're doing Uh and making personnel decisions is not exactly my strong suit. So I get concerned about that. Um, but seeing the reward of the, of of bringing folks in and, you know, you're making this soup and to see them start to collaborate and then to start come up with great ideas and then to execute and them having access to all sides of the business and that experience they get as opposed to large corporate kind of in your, in your little cog, move this to this has been really fulfilling. And so I think that still is what drives me probably the most. And, uh, it's kind of fun being a CEO, by the way. I basically get to spend time with my team and spend time with the customers. And when problems come up, I look at my team and I say, <laughs> who, who, who wants to solve this problem? And then someone volunteers and then I let them solve the problem. So in, in many ways, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty good gig. Fantastic. Well, Christopher, thank you very much for taking the time to explain what you guys do. Um, I haven't had anyone from your sector of the economy, well, finance and and construction merging together. And I think it's a valuable lesson in how the lessons and and learnings and applications of what we've seen in other areas that are more traditional to finance basically being applied universally almost to various aspects of the economy. So well done. Good on you for seeing the opportunity and help and good on you for enabling a lot of these these medium to small businesses to, to thrive because of it. Yeah, well, thanks for, for having me on and giving me an uh, opportunity to talk about you know, the business and our customers. My pleasure. Take care of yourself. All right, thanks. So that was my interview with Chris Doyle of Build. I hope you enjoyed that and uh, appreciate a little bit more of the complexity that goes into these kinds of deals and just the financial constraints that uh, and see the opportunity for applying some of the learnings in fintech and other industries to industries that are not traditionally looked at by fintech. And with that, as always, if you enjoyed my podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever is your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.